Today, we're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah. Uh, you've been following us in regard to this trek, and our desire is to look at Nehemiah, not so much just as a, an example of how to be a great leader, or we could say of how to be a great father, uh, as far as today is concerned. Uh, he does give us some excellent principles from his life that we can derive from, but we also want to look at the passion and the drive that he had for the purpose that he was called to. He was called to rebuild the city or the walls of Jerusalem. That was his calling. We looked at last week and have been looking at that our calling is a bit different. As Pastor Kyle pointed out, we are responsible to be a disciple, to make a disciple. We are called to use that which we understand from the scriptures, the experiences that we have, even our emotion, our drive, our characteristics, our personality to make disciples. And so as we look at Nehemiah, we have opportunity to not only derive some good characteristics from the man, but also to be challenged with what our role is. Do we have the same kind of drive, the same kind of passion for what our responsibility is as what he had and his responsibilities. As I looked at Nehemiah chapter 2, I wasn't sure really what to emphasize. I did know I wanted to cover the whole chapter. So it's going to be quite a race this morning. And I did want to emphasize certain things. And one element that seemed to come to my mind was that Nehemiah had before him a couple difficult or challenging or hard conversations. And I want to look at that from the perspective of that we will find ourselves in difficult, challenging, or hard conversations. It may be a conversation at the workplace that needs to happen. I think many times those don't happen. As a result, uh, relationships are stressed for long term to the point where people, instead of working out their problems, they move on to a different job. I see the same thing happening in homes where important conversations need to take place, but there's an element of intimidation or there's an element of distraction or pride or fear or whatever it might be gets in the way of having that difficult conversation. I believe even in our neighborhoods, whether it's dealing with lot line issues or a stray dog running around or whatever it might be, that could cause us to have challenging relationships that might require some difficult conversations. And then obviously the one that I'm really concerned about uh, because of my role in general, but my role specifically here, is that there's challenging, hard conversations that need to take places in churches that don't get done. They may take place, but they don't take place with the right people. They may take place with someone who is not the part of the problem, and they may not be part of the solution. And those do not become necessarily hard conversations because it gives us opportunity to vent. What's hard is be able to talk to the people we need to talk to about those situations. Well, I believe Nehemiah had a hard conversation. Actually, I think he had two hard conversations. Uh, but I want to let's pray one more time as we ask for God to give us application in our own heart for our responsibility of making disciples. Father, I, I thank you so much for this church and the impact that it's had in the community and surrounding communities, uh, the impact it's had in our state fellowship. Father, I am very humbled to be part of what's going on in their life right now. Uh, Lord, I, I know that the last two years have been a, a challenge for them, 
and I do not take that lightly. And I just pray, Lord, that you will allow them to focus on what you have them to accomplish, that you still want them to continue to make disciples. You still want them to have an impact in their community. You still want them to have challenging, hard, difficult, but very important conversations. And Father, I ask that today, as you have convicted my heart and shown me the areas where I have begged off responsibilities of having conversations that would have been beneficial, that uh, we will all see where you would use us for your honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look a little bit at this uh, motivation to, in a sense, have the hard conversation and within the conversation to help motivate someone to go in a in a good direction. Nehemiah chapter 2. Uh, Nehemiah is, is, of course, narrating what is taking place in the time of his going from where he was uh, in the Gentile uh, kingdom to get to where he was to be in Jerusalem. And he says this in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. He says, in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. Now, we're not going to develop this much, but I want to draw out something that gives me the idea that this is a hard conversation. First of all, uh, the calendars are very difficult to really ascertain the amount of time that might have taken place, but a good guess is about four months later from what he indicates in chapter 1 when he hears the message from his friends who have come from Jerusalem. So this is not something that has taken place, bam, bam. You're looking at several months that have gone on. So he gives us that marker for some reason, and I think it was to also let us realize that sometimes time is necessary in these type of situations. But he said, I had not been sad in his presence, in verse 1. This is significant because of what uh, we see in the next verse. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And then he says this, then I was very much afraid. From my understanding of how the Gentile kings were at that time, is that they were wanting to have people around them that didn't discourage them. Uh, They would want people that were uplifted, people who smiled, people who were excited about the kingdom, about what's going on. They didn't want individuals who were bothered because that would indicate that maybe they weren't happy in the kingdom. And so Nehemiah is very much aware that his sadness could communicate something to the uh, king Artaxerxes that was not going to be beneficial to him uh, for his personal life, but especially maybe for what his desire was in going to Jerusalem and taking care of the role that God has called him to do. And so he says he was very fearful, and uh, and he, he says this, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? And this is introducing really what I want to discuss coming forward, uh, going forward, as to what were some of the markers that were taking place in Nehemiah's life as he made this difficult, challenging, hard conversation uh, with King Artaxerxes, and also later on as he has a difficult, hard conversation with the people of Jerusalem uh, with the task that was at hand. But he goes on to say, my face is sad because 
of what's going on in my heart because of what's going on around me. Now, we can identify with that, can we not? Have we not had some things that have gone on around us that have made our hearts sad and made our hearts troubled and that we wonder how things are going to, to work out? And as the, uh, the Bible says, typically what's on the inside of us will come out on the outside of us as to how our expression might be. And God exhorts us to have a cheerful heart. And the reason we should have a cheerful heart is because we have a God that has the answers. We have a God that takes care of us. And that God wants us not only to mourn, but he also wants us to rejoice. And to rejoice in the fact that our God is in control of things. And so it is not unlike what Nehemiah was experiencing with Artaxerxes. Our God also is concerned about our contentedness and how much we appreciate what he has given to us and what he provides for us. He wants us to see him as our father who genuinely cares. So as we look at what Nehemiah is, is working with, uh, we can understand why he needed to depend upon God in this next step. I want to call this appealing to authority. Appealing to authority. Admittedly, I did not learn that well when I was a young person. I had to do a lot of trial and error, uh, most error in regard to how to deal with an authority when I got into the workplace. That was some of the first places. School was other places. Trying to figure out how do I communicate with them well. Because my default was to not say anything at all. My default was simply to uh, just defer to everything and to just let them do what they're going to do and not recognize that maybe I had a responsibility to speak up about something that needed to be talked about. And so what I wanted to do was to explain to my children, uh, our children, that there was a proper process of appeal, that as an authority in their life, I wanted them to understand how they can talk to an authority and how that they can move forward in what's on their heart and be able to communicate in such a way. I, I see Nehemiah kind of sh uh, shadowing some of that, it's kind of showing some of that in his life. And one of the items is that he had respect. And I see that respect in two areas. First of all, he had the respect for the position. Here's what he says. He says, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. He had a request, but in that request, it was not a demand. It was a respecting of his position and recognizing that, uh, that this is something that it was not his decision to make, but the person in authority to make, and he wanted to ensure that that, that person in authority realized that he respected that position, that he was willing to align himself up underneath him, but he wanted to show the respect for the position. If you think back in the Old Testament, a similar type of a situation, uh, a Jewish person before a Gentile king would be the example of Esther. Now, in her case, it was pretty extreme. She wasn't even allowed to come into his presence unless he laid out the scepter. And, of course, that isn't uh, anything that we want to uh, encourage in regard to uh, uh, leadership, uh, 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 you know, relationships and such. But that's what the culture they had at that time. And she recognized that, and she understood that, and she knew that there was a risk. That's why she said, if I perish, I perish. 
but she knew that she had to talk about something. She had to have a hard conversation uh, with her king. And so this is what Nehemiah is doing as well. He's not only respecting the position, but I like the idea that he's respecting the interests of the king as well. Uh, the Verse 6 goes on and says, And the king said to me, uh, I think it's interesting, he says, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Now of all the things that Nehemiah was thinking about, uh, what he would need to rebuild the, the city, uh, what kind of things he would need for passage, and we'll talk about that in a moment, he also bore in mind that the king has interests as well. There were things that his desire, that, that he desired, would have an impact on the king because he was going to be gone, and he knew that that would uh, cause a void in what the expectations of what the king was. We are not given all the details, but my guess is also that Nehemiah made great pains to ensure that the responsibilities that he had to fulfill were fulfilled and that he had ways of backing up the things that he was doing, because he didn't want his king to be hampered because of what he was going to do next. I think this is a good good thing to bear in mind when we are desiring to do what we believe God wants us to do, and we're approaching an authority that may not have the same passion that we have, but we ought to, as Philippians chapter 2 says, be concerned about the interests of others just as we are about our own interests, and that it does us well to do our homework, to understand really what it is that the authority that we want to make an appeal to really cares about and what's important to them. We see this also in another example in the book of Daniel, uh, when Daniel had to go before the king right off the bat in the early chapters of Daniel, and they were presented as teenagers to eat meat and to eat things that they knew was not right, and their conscience would not allow them to do that. And in the process of approaching the, the person in command above them, uh, the, Daniel knew that the biggest concern that the king had uh, was whether or not they would stay healthy, whether or not they would lose their edge, whether or not they would be capable to accomplish the things that the king had planned for them. And so thus, when Daniel posed the issue, uh, he also posed a solution uh, because he knew the person over him had to answer for that. And so he wanted to ensure that that person in authority was, uh, was aware that Daniel cared about those things. And as a result of suggesting that they eat vegetables and to make a trial period and all that, and then to discover that they were in better shape than all the others, he accomplished that particular goal. Uh, the, the next thing that we see is that he uh, not only had a respect, but he gave forth his request. Uh, so he respected his interests, and then he also had his request. If it pleases the king, let letters be given me. And he has letters to the governor so they could have passage, and letters to the keepers of the king's forest so he could have materials. Nehemiah thought through all these things. He thought about what he would need as he's going these several, several days of journey to get from where he is to where he needs to go to. He knew he had to have place, ways to get through the checkpoints. He knew he needed materials. So he asked for those things, and he asked for them uh, fairly uh, uh, confidently before the king. And so as, as he made his request, uh, he did so in such a way 
that the king understood what he wanted and what he needed. He didn't make inferences. He didn't beat around the bush. He gave them clear indication of what he believed would be helpful for their situation. And then the third thing I think is important under this point is he recognized who the ultimate authority is. Nehemiah wanted to appreciate the fact that he was under a Gentile king. Nehemiah wanted to appreciate the fact that in that he had certain responsibility of responding to that authority in a proper way. But Nehemiah never forgot the fact that his ultimate authority is God. And that is our responsibility too. Regardless of what the situation would be, whether it's dealing with an authority at work or wherever, our understanding is all of us are underneath the authority of God. And that's why uh, we are desirous to align ourselves up under other people because God commands us. But it also allows us to be faithful in whatever we do so that we might not just be you know, person pleasers, but also we recognize that we serve a God. So here's what, here's what uh, Nehemiah does. So as soon as he had asked him the question, uh, what, what, what do you want? He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah had already been praying a lot, but there's nothing wrong with those catch prayers that indicate even in the heat of the discussion, we recognize that God is the authority to help us through those difficult situations. And then he says this, and the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah wasn't um, sitting there thinking, wow, I'm a great negotiator. Nehemiah wasn't thinking, I really know how to work with people. I know how to manipulate situations. I know how to get done what needs to get done. I am a good leader. Nehemiah was simply trying to follow his God and to do what God wanted him to do. So as a result, he knew the success was wrapped up not in his own ability, but in the ability of God. And I believe that as we look at difficult conversations and such, and we keep that in mind, we will be less likely to put ourselves up in front of a situation, talk ourselves out of those difficult situations, uh, to, to keep us from properly representing God in those situations if we remember we have an ultimate authority that we're responsible to. And Nehemiah, I think, patterns that for us, and we will be wise in whatever conversations we have to recognize these are things that are brought up under alignment of God. He will give us, we will give an account to him for the words that we use, and uh, we should recognize that. Now, the, the second aspect, in, as you take the, the chapter and divide it in two, uh, is where he goes from getting what he needs to, to leave uh, uh, Syria and go on to Jerusalem. Now he comes upon Jerusalem. He's got another tough, dis tough conversation. And this conversation isn't with a... Uh, uh, Gentile king, this is with individuals within Jerusalem. It would be the leaders, the ones who uh, had already been there, the ones who would possibly see him as an outsider coming in and trying to tell them what to do. So it wasn't necessarily going to be an easier conversation than the conversation he was going to have, that he did have with, with the king. So I, I thought it fitting for us to put these together and look at them from this perspective and to pull a few highlights from this as, as we move forward. Uh, the first thing is, in leading to action, uh, he had a preparation time. He said this, so I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Now, he was there longer than that, but he wanted to give us the idea that he spent three days in this process of checking things out. He wanted, the, wanted his listeners or readers to know 
that he didn't just rush in and, and say, okay, here I am. You know, I'm the answer to your problems. Uh, he instead took time to, to look into that. And that preparation not only uh, involved time, I think it's interesting that it involved an element of confidentiality. Now, I realize, and if you know me well, you know that I am one who likes to over-communicate. I like to ensure that people know what is going on as much as I can. But I can respect what is going on in this situation. Nehemiah, I believe that he was working off a basis similar to what you see in Proverbs 18, 13, when it says, he who answers an issue before he has heard it is folly and shame to him. Now, Nehemiah could have rushed in there and said, you got a problem. You, you, you have no walls and you, you have no gates and uh, you, you have some issues. And he would, he would have been right. But he took the time to go and look at things. And he did so. Look at the words it says here in regard to it. I rose in the night and I and a few men, instead of the entourage that is described earlier in the passage, and I told no one that my God had put in my heart, and I went out by night, again, some just emphasis that I have from this passage, and he says, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, uh, and I had not yet told. All those inferences give me the, you know, just the recognition that there are times when we need to think through something before we answer it that there needs to be our own assessment. And I think that's fitting. I think sometimes we're quick to repeat things that we haven't looked into and haven't owned ourselves, And that has a lot of applications in our society today, especially with the way in which we can repeat something uh, very quickly, that it would be wise for us to take time to hear, to look, to discover, to do our own assessment of the situation. That's what he did. Uh, in preparation to talk with these leaders, he wanted to ensure that he took time to do this. And look at the next part of it as he it talks about the assessment as he walks through these various things. I'm not going to go into detail of all the places that he went to. We'll touch on that a little bit, Lord willing, next week when we talk about how they started remedying situation. But if you can imagine, he's giving a a play-by-play of what it was like in the Jerusalem area. If I could liken it unto something, we just recently uh, took an offer on our house, and before the offer could be sealed, they had to have an inspection. Uh, that inspection was two hours long. That means someone came into our house and wandered through all the things. And if I were to describe that, even though I wasn't there, uh, was that I could imagine him going to the front porch and then going through the front room, uh, walking through the dining room, circling around through the kitchen, going down the steps and checking out the basement, uh, coming back up through the kitchen, checking out the bathroom that's off the side, noticing the spiral steps that go up to the back room, uh, then wandering his way back into the uh, dining room and out through the, uh, the back uh, living room, onto the deck, out into the yard. You see what I'm saying? That's what basically you see described in this portion of Scripture as Nehemiah would have been talking about things that the people of Jerusalem would recognize. They knew what that gate was. They knew what this was. As you listen to my description, you're thinking, wait, 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 I don't even know what your house is like. You just said a bunch of words, and I couldn't go with you. You know, you kind of left me after the front porch. I don't understand what you're talking about. Same thing could be true of us as we listen to this and try to figure out, well, what's at that gate? Where's this? What I want us to take away is that he did a thorough 
investigation to go around and not just take a, a look at something that, yeah, it's bad, and go his way. He took the time to go around and to do an assessment. And as you look at that, uh, he, he get, here's the words that I emphasize. He went on to the, and on to the, uh, and he, uh, uh, then he says, he finally, then I went up and uh, so returned. He made the cycle to go through. And that encourages the importance of, of making good assessments uh, when we're preparing to have a difficult uh, conversation. And then second of all, under this point, problem identification. He says the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates and had been destroyed by fire. Those are the things he was looking at. And then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool and there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Now, if you've ever been in a house of a person who loves to collect things, you know what I'm talking about there. You know, <laughs> you're walking through there and there's no place for me to pass. It's just like you have to walk through this way. Uh, uh, <laughs> it won't be too long and our, our house will look like that as we're trying to move things, etc. But that wasn't because someone collected things. That's because things have been broken down so badly there in Jerusalem that it wasn't just the fact that things had fallen outward, things had fallen inward, and as a result, they couldn't even get through some places. And those were things that were part of his problem identification as he worked through those, those things. And then he goes on to say this. He gave them an invitation. Uh, before he gives the invitation, he indicates who he's going to give the invitation to. These are the ones he had not told yet. He said, I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Now, it'd be easy to think that maybe what he's saying is, I haven't told the Jews, priests, nobles, and officials, and... Uh, the people who are to do the work, okay? That isn't really what he's saying there because when you look in chapter 3, you will notice the expectation is that the priests and nobles and the others that were in the leadership responsibility were also expected to be a part of those who are to do the work. And so Nehemiah, as he, as he thought through what he was going to say, he also thought through who he had to say it to. And uh, so he brings this information to them uh, and he... Uh, he says this, and I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build uh, the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God and had been upon me for the good and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. Uh, he gave the invitation, and in giving the invitation, he not only talked about what he had seen, he had also talked about uh, what God was speaking to him, what God had laid upon his heart, and he had also talked about what the backing of the king was in that situation. So he had given a, an element of testimony as he talked about, here's the problem, but here's how God has a solution for us. And they were willing to rise up and build. Now, in any kind of conversation, when you're dealing with something like that, there's points of dissension. And I will not take time to really expand upon this because uh, Tobias uh, and, uh, uh, and Sanballat will come to play later on another message. But here's what it says. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, uh, the Ammonite, uh, uh, servant, and Gershom, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing are you rebelling against the king? And what Nehemiah simply said, the God of heaven will make us prosper 
and we, his servants, will rise and build. It's interesting, not that this is the only response you can have to something like this. Nehemiah didn't get caught up in discussing, really, the value of his mission. He knew the value of his mission, and he was bent upon that. Now, there are times when people will bring things to our attention, and we ought to listen to it. It's not just talk to the hand type of attitude. But in this particular situation, the individuals who were of concern were not of them. They were not ones that were bought into the process. They were not ones that were part of the decision-making process. They were not ones that were having the same agenda. And so I believe Nehemiah wisely said, yes, but this is what God wants us to do and, uh, and move forward onto that. Now, I've reserved the last few minutes to talk about an example that is in the, in the scriptures. As I stated earlier, Nehemiah's goal was to build a wall. Our responsibility is to build bridges, build bridges into the lives of other people. And we know of the Apostle Paul, who was greatly example, a great example of one who was here on this earth for the purpose of leading people to Jesus Christ, and that he was driven in that purpose. Just as much as Nehemiah was driven in the purpose of building the wall for Jerusalem, the Apostle Paul was driven to ensure people heard about the gospel. He says in the book of Philippians, he says, it is better for me to go to heaven and to avoid the difficulties that I have in this life, but for your sake I stay. And so that others might be able to hear about the gospel, he wanted to stay. And so he was willing to, in whatever difficult conversation he had, was to ensure that he stayed on task in regard to making disciples. And I will not take time to go into full detail of Acts chapter 26, but I encourage you to read it over. Because it's just one of the several times in which the Apostle Paul gives his testimony and shares with someone in authority as to how that they could understand a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The text talks about Paul's appeal um, before the king, Agrippa. Uh, really, his appeal before the king Agrippa is that King Agrippa would come to know Jesus as his personal Savior. And uh, he would make an appeal. Uh, he, would, he, would, he would make an appeal to get out of jail, but that was not his priority. His priority that regardless of what his situation was, whether he was free or whether he was in chains, that people might come to know Christ. And here's some things that I found to be beneficial, and we'll just quickly go through them. Number one, he was, uh, number one, he was just humble and appreciative. He said, I beg you to listen. He knew who he was before. He knew the interests of the king. He knew what his history was. He knew what he understood about the Jews. He cared about all those things, and he wanted that to be a part of the conversation. And he humbly came before him in regard to that. And he did not just simply have some canned speech for him in regard to how he could come to know Christ. He wanted King Agrippa to know that he personally understood who he was as a person and he cared about him and he wanted him to consider these things. Second of all, he talks about a promise made by God and talks about the help that comes from God. In his discussion with King Agrippa, it was not all just about Paul. It was about his God. And when we have opportunity to talk with someone, not only should we, uh, about Jesus Christ, we should talk not only about what their needs are, who they are, and care about them as a person, we ought to make sure that God is the main person of the story, and it's, and it's about who he is. 
Uh, he goes on to say this. He say, gave his personal testimony. Verses 9 through 18 describes not only his life before Jesus, how he came to know Christ, and what was important to him afterwards. We should all have a testimony like that. Uh, we all should have a testimony as to what Jesus Christ has done in my life. Why is he important to us? And Paul was willing to share that with King Agrippa so that he could know. Uh, then he goes and, and, and re- just basically reaffirms what we've talked about in the past, that the Gospels of Jesus Christ's suffering, and dying and raising from the dead, were from the prophets and Moses. And he emphasizes the truth of the Scriptures. We not only have an opportunity to talk to someone and come into their life, understand where their background is, listen to them if we need to, uh, to be uh, there to talk about how Jesus is the, the main story, uh, but also give our own testimony and to be using the scriptures when we talk to people about Jesus. And then uh, uh, he, he talks about that Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Here he is opening the door for those Gentiles that he's talking to, for them to realize this is not just a Jewish thing. This is something that bridges over into their life as well. And it's applicable to you. And then he gives this invitation. And he says, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. In this particular case, Paul was saying, I know you understand the Old Testament. I know you understand what has been said in the Old Testament about uh, the Messiah. Would you be willing to believe that the Messiah has come? That the Messiah died on the cross, buried, rose again for your sins. That you might have eternal life. And as you know the rest of the story, King Agrippa says, are you trying so easily to convert me? And uh, as, as a result, he does not in that instance turn to Christ. But I share this because it is an example of a difficult conversation that sometimes we don't have. That we do not take the time to talk with someone even if they might be in a situation where it's uncomfortable. Paul was not necessarily the most comfortable situation standing before the king who held his freedom in his hands, but he made as his priority the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. And so may we make that our priority to talk about who Jesus is and how he is the solution for people's lives. Father, I thank you for the truth that you give us from your word. Thank you for the example of Nehemiah who is willing to stand strong even though there was opposition even though there were challenging and difficult conversations that need to be made Father I know that we didn't do justice and we kind of went through this rather quickly but I pray that my friends will take the time to look over chapter 2 of Nehemiah and see the things that are uh, helpful for them and I, and I trust that we will consider what uh, we see in the example of the Apostle Paul as we consider the gaps in our own life and our own testimonies before others in our own desire to share Jesus Father, I ask that you would uh, help us to have the same fervency towards making disciples that we see in the life of Nehemiah. Help us to realize you are with us and that you are the one who is the authority that we're working under. We ask, Lord, to be glorified through that. In Jesus' name, amen.